So, Alex. Yes, Sarah? How do you date differently now that the uh, novelty of non-monogamy is worn off? Well, now when I find out that my date's carrying a gun, I usually just leave right away. Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer, non-monogamous writer and therapist. I am also a basic bitch with a brand new Madewell beanie that will not be leaving my head this entire season. And I'm Alex. I'm a straight white guy with a communications job. But I also have three tattoos now. Three. So that's how you know I'm <laughs> cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you know me, Alex? Uh, I know you as the lady who spent 200 of my dollars on Halloween decorations at Goodwill last week. And how do you know me? I know you as the guy that was trying to bribe our seven-year-old into eating hot lunch at school. (laughs) This morning. Didn't work. Didn't work. As always, we're joined today by our producer, neighbor, and eternal friend, and resident monogamous, Jessica Partnow. Jessica, do you have any exciting updates from this summer when we were on break from the podcast? Well, I got bangs this summer, so I'm basically a different person now. <laughs> she really is. They, they look great. I hardly recognize you, Jessica. Uh, yes, throughout the season, we'll be referring to Jessica as bangs, and please refer to me as beanie. Okay, Bangs, Bangs and Beanie. Great to be here with you, Bangs and Beanie. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> it's like weird because Sarah, you got more basic, and Jessica, I feel like you got less basic. Ooh. It's my hot take. Ouch. Ouch. Summer review. <laughs> uh, how basic is it to have put up Halloween decorations on September 7th? Ooh. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that's, <laughs> if that's edgy or not. I'm, sure, I'm not sure which direction you're really going. Yeah, I bet that. our neighbors think it's edgy. Yeah. they are literally terrifying i mean like every time i watch that new like thing that just says help me like it's written in blood on the window like Mm -hmm. that's intense Mm -hmm. yeah with the bloody handprints Mm -hmm. smeared down the window yeah goodwill's not messing around i feel like they get the halloween decorations that didn't sell the previous year probably because they were too disturbing and weird Yep. Yeah, it does seem that way. And that, yeah, that explains a lot. <laughs> they had like an entire section of the Goodwill that was the butcher shop section. Uh-huh. And now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, that's probably yeah. the stuff that no one, no one else bought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Great job. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So, Alex, what do you know about the term NRE? Um, I know it's one of many annoying and esoteric non-monogamy terms uh, Very good, yes. that people like to use. Um, no, it means uh, new relationship energy. It's kind of it's kind of like EDM, if you know what that is. Um, You're doing a very beguiling little shoulder uh-huh, shimmy yeah, right now that yeah. I wish our listeners could see. Like, <laughs> uh, no, so new relationship, it's like the feeling that you get when you're in a new relationship with somebody. And so you're like really excited about them. And I guess people use it as a way to like demystify what might feel like I'm in love with this new person uh, because, you know, there's it's the idea that like you can have a lot of excitement when you first come into something um, that uh, might fade with time. And so I, perhaps the term is meant to sort of like recognize that we kind of all know if we have enough relationships uh, that 
they do that that initial energy fades with time and perhaps there are things that that last but um good things that last but some of that initial enthusiasm will fade that initial energy there's a joke among therapists especially therapists who work with non-monogamous people Mm -hmm. the joke is what do we not do we don't make life decisions when we're having new relationship energy. Uh, and the joke, uh, of course, is that that's when most people make big life decisions. Yes. <laughs> and so it's good advice that no one ever follows. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Okay. So in today's episode, we're exploring what it's like when new relationship energy with non-monogamy itself wears off. So what does it mean to be like almost f- going on year four, three-ish um, years of practicing non-monogamy and having opened up our marriage and like living and having relationships in a way that is unusual or even like taboo to other people, but is starting to feel pretty normal to us. Wait, you're talking about us specifically? Yeah. Okay. I thought we weren't going to talk about us on the podcast. This, this season, season yeah. we've decided no more no. conversations about our relationship. <laughs> yeah. It's, we got to shut that down. Our relationship I'm remains a open, exposed. but yes. it is closed, closed to, to listeners of this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding. No, we'll keep talking about ourselves. Um, that's really the only qualification I have at least <laughs> to be talking about this is, is personal experience. So, um, yeah. Uh, so not new relationship energy in a specific relationship, but just like the the novelty of non-monogamy in general. Right. Um, but maybe uh, I would like to think about like how we could reframe that as like... Um, Making non-monogamy sustainable beyond the initial enthusiasm. Right. right. So not just like old, boring relationship energy with non-monogamy, mm-hmm. but yeah. like something that feels sustainable and integrated and fun, yeah. but maybe less crazy. Right. How do you make it like work in your life in the long term? Um, and yeah, not just something you do. You know, for instance, when there's a global pandemic and <laughs> you're not allowed to do anything else, so you go. You're like, how am I going to have a proper stranger? midlife crisis in the middle of a global exactly. pandemic? Yeah. I know. Exactly. That's actually a good point. Like, how do you? Yeah. Uh, you can't have a midlife crisis <laughs> forever. So if that's your why for opening your marriage, then you know there's got to be there's got to be more to it. Um, so I'm really we, trying to have a midlife crisis forever. Yeah. That way you'd live forever. Exactly. Zeno's this is paradox. how I'm going to cheat death, everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. <laughs> I love that. You found the secret. More of that later in the season. You should write like a self-help book. How to uh, live forever. How to live forever. Constant midlife crisis. I feel like this is boomers are trying it. <laughs> and you know what? It's actually working. That's true. <laughs> actually, this seems to kind of be working oh, for man. them. Oh, weird. Okay. All right. I just got really depressed. Yeah. Okay. So back to sustainability and having integrated some lessons, it feels less crazy and also still is something we want to be doing. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about how this is a thing? Um, Like, uh, definitely it's like a thing for us, right? Um, So like we're going into year four, right? Mm, I think it's like three and a half. Yeah. Well... Wait, because yes, we're we going into in the, the year of four. 2020. Yeah. The hell? Yeah. Okay. So it's been, we have three years under our belt and we're into the fourth year. Okay. There you go. Uh-huh. I think. I'm, I don't understand how math works. Yeah. Yeah. Ages counting. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like we're in the first year 
was it year zero or was it year one? Right. right. Like, do you count the first year of a baby's life? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. In okay. Korea, you do. In Korea, you don't. <laughs> You didn't anyway, used to. Okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. We're going into year four. Yes. <laughs> We're yeah. going into year four. Uh, yeah. So it's a long time, point being. Um, and we've done a lot of the things that you might be doing for the first time. Done a lot of those things. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. How does it kind of feel different? Um, so I'm curious, like, for you, uh, you know, what are some of the things? How do you feel like you're different? What are some of the things that, like... Uh, maybe you would have done at the outset that you won't, that you don't do now or that you won't do now. Yeah. I was thinking about this recently because I don't know, it was the start of fall and like school was starting for the kids and like right. work was picking new up. New beginnings. It was new beginnings. Um, and I was realizing that for me, I am much more realistic about how much time I have and I want to have for dating. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a pretty strong sense of that, having this much experience under my belt. And I'm like, you know, there is only so much time I have for dates. And I think in the past, I would have kind of obscured that to myself and to partners. Mm -hmm. And now I've like gone on new dates with people or, or dates with new people or started new relationships and just been super frank. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably like going to text a couple times a week and I'm available consistently, maybe once every three weeks. And if we can make something else happen, that's cool. But that's like the sort of standard limits of what I have available. Um, especially since I tend to date a couple of people at a time outside of our relationship. Uh, and it's just interesting to know that and state that really clearly to people and let whatever happens as a result of that happen. And I think early on, first of all, I didn't necessarily know that. Um, yeah. But I also kind of wanted to hide from people how busy and hectic my life was or how hard it was to like make time for dates because I was afraid it would make me seem less appealing or the relationship less viable. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is like the, the why is behind it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's like a, it's like a sales pitch up front kind of or like trying to put your best foot forward. Sorry. I don't love to think of it as a sales pitch. I was thinking about myself <laughs> and saying that, pitch. honestly. <laughs> well, the old one or the new, the old version or the new version? I mean, it? maybe I still feel self-conscious about the new version not sounding that appealing to people. Although, this is sort of relevant, I think, with people who are in my life phase or stage in some way, shape, or form and or have more experience with non-monogamy, they do seem to respond pretty well to that. Right. Or they mm -hmm. at least, like, understand... I mean, I'm sure Those it's, parameters. depending on how you're framing it, I, it could feel like a blow off, certainly to like, especially if you like went on a first date with somebody and then they followed up being like, I'm pretty busy right now. So blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, it could probably feel like a signal that you're good at knowing what your kind of limits are and are a good communicator who isn't going to, you know, sort of immature to be unrealistic about your capacity, right? Yeah, and it's interesting. A relationship I was in just ended here recently. And in part, it was because I think the two of us were really struggling with how to have that kind of like frequency of communication and seeing each other and still keep it feeling like connected and intimate enough um, or even consistent enough that it felt like we were making something together. Mm -hmm. So I say that to recognize that you're sort of threading some needles there and it's not always easy but I have much more realistic understanding of right of that 
of that process and like the partners that I want to find who will engage in it with me, I guess. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What about you? Um, yeah, the gun thing, I think pretty much. <laughs> okay. Okay. Back up the boat yeah, here. Right. You need the whole it's story. Just keep no. mentioning it until um, someone asks them about it. No, I think it's, uh, it's symbolic of other things. Uh, no, I just, um, I think in earlier phases, uh, I was just more, um, excited to do whatever. And so like in that specific <laughs> instance, it was like, uh, you know, I matched with a person, I think like that day, it was like a, a Tuesday or something like that. And like, I matched with somebody on Tinder and then we like started chatting right away. And then it was like, what are you doing? And, uh, I was like, Oh, working, but whatever. And she was like, Oh, let's go get lunch. Or I was like, let's go get lunch. And then it was just like, it was happening. And I was like, Sarah, I'm going to go get lunch with this person. And like, we met up on Capitol Hill next to Cal Anderson park. And like, you know, I knew like nothing about the person, except I think that I knew that they were a cop also. <laughs> so super super interesting they choice for been. Cal Anderson Park yeah. in the summer of 2020 for anyone else who's local. They had wow. been a cop in Idaho. <laughs> I mean, in my defense, they were like a person of color and they had an interesting backstory around their relationship to that that I had somehow gleaned in one hour of conversation when I'm supposed to be working. Anyway, uh, we met up and we had lunch and then we went over to Cal Anderson and rolled around on the dirty astroturf and made out for a minute and then I was like what is that lump (laughs) on your hip and they were like oh that's my gun and I was like oh cool Uh, let's talk about that Uh, I definitely did not leave right away I think you know it killed the mood a little bit but um, you know I wasn't like I'm out and I guess more to the point, I was uh, there in the first place. Like, you know, I was like excited to match with the person. And I was just like, ooh, a new person. And they want to talk to me. And they're like, well, you know, I, I one of us like suggested to meet up like right away. And it was just like seemed like a worthwhile thing to do to just like disrupt my life and like put whatever I was doing on hold to like go make this happen like right out the gate. That's definitely not the energy that I'm bringing to it anymore. How do you think it would go now? Like, we finish recording, you match with that same person. Uh, what would happen next? I probably would not be, like, particularly excited about, about the match in the first place, maybe because of the cop vibes. Um, and, uh, you know, so I maybe wouldn't message them right away or ever in the first place. Um and then if I did, you know, I wouldn't like just put everything aside and be like furtively conversing with them. And then, you know, if I did do that, I probably wouldn't be like trying to meet up right or right away. And if I did do that, I would probably not be trying to make out on the grass in Cal Anderson right away. Or or possibly ever. I mean, just yeah. as a. A kind of permanent lesson learned making out in the grass at Cal Anderson. Is. Well, don't knock it till you try it, Sarah. <laughs> you know, I just feel like that's maybe one thing I could uh-huh. I could go my whole life and not yeah. experience, but okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all of that is, I wouldn't say it's a regret, you know, just uh, an experience that I probably, you know, it's a different, a different attitude. I mean, what I hear there is just that at that time, 
dating and dates, almost of any kind quality, was more excited exciting than anything else you might be doing. Yeah. You're just like, the very concept of going on dates, or that you could, or that you could like roll around on the grass with someone in the afternoon that you just met in the morning, that all of that was just like very exciting and interesting in and of mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. yeah. And they might have a gun. They might have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It makes me think of like the joke that we all make all the time about new relationship energy with people, just like how you will in the early blushes of a relationship be like, you know, well, in my specific example, I'll just give that, you know, I will be like, yeah, I love going to six hour long Turkish art films. And my husband will be like, yeah, I love hiking. Both of which were revealed to be like less than Uh our ideal, you know, like they're both being things that we will tolerate. Like, you know, I can imagine making out in the grass at Kelly Anderson, like I would tolerate it now if my partner really wants to do it, but I wouldn't like tell myself that I loved it. (laughs) I mean, this really makes sense why I'm friends with both you and your husband, because those sound like excellent activities to me. (laughs) It's true. I mean, and I really don't want to malign six hour long Turkish art films because I do. And especially if you can like hike to the movie and then watch it. It is actually my dream. I just want to clarify. Nobody's likes making out in the grass at Cal Anderson. (laughs) People are horny and they're making out wherever they can make out. That's not anybody's like, it's not like an interest. It's not. Yeah. It's not. You can like check that box on a dating. Yeah. No, I don't want to. Important fact check there. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was curious, Jessica, to ask you about like when you were dating in different kind of phases, uh, like sort of monogamously dating, did you have the same mm. sort of arc of like being initially excited about like I'm back on the market or whatever, like I'm out not to put you in a, a capitalist <laughs> context or whatever. Capitalism but, isn't your fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, did, did you have that, like, same experience of, like, the initial enthusiasm and then that, like, kind of wore off? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I always had kind of mixed feelings about the whole thing. But, like, earlier on, it seemed, like, more interesting and exciting. And I was willing to do different things. Um, like, talk to people on the phone before going on a date, which is not my cup of tea at all. Mm-hmm. Um Curtis and I never talked on the phone until after we were married. I love that. (laughs) Wow. I really love that. Um, But um, yeah. And I totally think like in like sort of the last period of my monogamous dating, I had really hit like a very similar thing that you were just describing, Sarah, where like I knew I have exactly this much time and space for dating in my life right now. I'm going to go on max one date a week. And only with people who I really feel like there's, you know, it's hard to tell just from the apps or whatever, but it's like, I feel like there's some potential here. Um, And, you know, and it felt so much better. Like I liked my relationship with dating a lot better when it was like that, like it felt less like a sort of moratorium. Is that the right word? Um, Like just on me. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like felt like I had more control over it rather than I had to just sort of like, you know, follow the whims of the dating world. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you know? too. I mean, monogamous dating. And I think this speaks a little bit to um, a monogamous mindset that I was still very much mm. in when we started dating non-monogamously is that you're like trying to do something. 
<laughs> you're like like it's a means to an end. It's a means to an end. Yeah. And I think three years in, I'm like, that has really been more dismantled in my mind. And I recognize that like I am not dating to try and reach an end goal that is not dating anymore. I am dating because the dating itself is like fun and valuable mm-hmm. and interesting to me and is adding something to my life. Um, and that changes my relationship to it a lot. Right. Yeah. It's dare I say like a, an anti anti-capitalist or like a non-capitalist approach in mm-hmm. some ways, you know, and it's confusing to take that out of it. Like we, it's a steep learning curve to learn how to do it. Right. Right. Well, and like the difference between like dating and like being in relationships too, I guess those like terms are sort of interchangeable in some contexts and not. Like, maybe they're interchangeable in a non-monogamous context and not in a monogamous one, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think early on, I was really dating for, like, I'm trying to find specific people for the purpose of an escalating relationship. And right. that's how I will know that I have achieved, achieved something yeah. or success in this. And um, now I realize that that is not what I'm dating for. Mm-hmm. And that the reason why I'm dating is because I, like enjoy being able to build relationships that work between me and cool, interesting people out there. Um, but that is like something that's always just kind of in process and is always uh, dynamic. It's not a place that we're going to end up at. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's interesting. You're just making me realize that like that end for <laughs> me early on was probably like, I'm dating to make people fall in love with me. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I think that is like a pretty powerful thing to linger on and talk about Um, because I think that was a big part of it for me too. Mm. I really thought that the point of dating was to like kind of seduce people. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to explain it. Like to gather evidence of my lovability Mm -hmm. and like how attractive and desirable I was. Uh, And I don't want to be like, too hard on myself about that because obviously that would be what I would think dating was going into it again for the first time after 20 years. Uh, but mm. it, it's not the reason why I want to be doing it now. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. Lingering on that for, I'm, it's kind I'm having of, it's a realization here that maybe, maybe deep, we yeah. kind of suck. Or sucked. What do you mean? Well, it's just like, it feels shitty to be like, we're both like, yeah, we were just like, you know, two people who had like a, a pretty like nice, functional, nurturing marriage with each other. And then we're like, let's go out and f- try and get some other people to fall in love with us. You know? Well, I think that framing sucks. Yeah. I mean, I also want to be careful not to be <laughs> yeah. too hard on ourselves about it because I think that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. Like we live in a culture where... That is how you, one of the ways that you're like measure your value. And so yeah. repeating that in dating is like crappy behavior, but it's crappy learned behavior that a lot of people engage in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that, I think the important difference is not that you can't love people and be loved by people, yeah. but it's the idea that you would go out and try and like, pull evidence of your lovability like out of the experience of dating uh, and that that would be a primary goal. And I think like that has, you know, it's 
a, a big part of what has changed for me. Yeah. And I, maybe that gets back to the question of like sustainability. Like the first one is not something that's going to be like an emotionally sustainable practice, right? To just be out there, you know, first of all, because you're going to be like creating a lot of sort of like drama and it's like a lot of effort to, you know, sort of emotionally conquer people that way or whatever. Um, but And a really sucky framing that, again, I appreciate you speaking about it in such blunt terms uh, because I think it's a really present dynamic yeah. in relationships and dating, but people don't actually talk about it in that blunt of terms. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, it sounds so sinister when you think of it that way, but it's like another way that you could look at it. And I think like I definitely had a very similar experience in monogamous dating but I think part of my reflection on that has been that it so much of that was like a denial of myself or like my ability to connect with what I was looking for, or what I desired. It was like, first things first, let's make sure that I can prove that I can get people to like me. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, yeah, it's like a way you could think of that as manipulative and cruel, or you could think of it as like, I was completely at sea and just felt like, I had to do that in order to feel like I was worth anything. It's protective. Yeah. You're establishing safety yeah. Yeah. for yourself first. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think like that is a much kinder way of viewing it and a good way of thinking about it in terms of like why a lot of people approach dating and yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's, it's the script that we're, you know, mm-hmm. if we haven't really examined it, I feel like we're kind of handed that idea. It's pretty nuanced, too. Uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but I'll offer it up because it's fresh in my mind. Uh, I always feel like we come back into the top of our seasons, and it's like, and we just had a bunch of breakups. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but in this relationship of mine that recently ended, I felt like I was actually struggling to communicate with this person that my... Um, my desire for like more consistency or for just like a little bit more opportunity to like build intimacy with each other in a consistent way was being uh, misunderstood as like an escalator Mm. or like an, an ask for more uh, sort of mm, expression of like love for me for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. or like, you know, and I could really struggle. You can tell even in the way I'm talking about it now, to articulate the difference where I was like, no, the container is still very strong here and I don't need an escalator. And this isn't about like trying to pull something Mm -hmm. out of you that feels uncomfortable for you. It's just like, I basically, I want some kind of like standing agreement about when and how often we see each other because it's crazy for my schedule to not have that. And that's it. (laughs) Like, and the amount that you feel for me is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not you want or can do this may or may not be a reflection of that, but that's, I'm not asking for more of that. Mm-hmm. This is again, kind of abstract, but I wanted to offer it up because it felt maybe yeah. possibly relevant. But aren't those things always kind of entangled? Like maybe you're going to have feelings about like their ability to like do that. And right. they're going to have feelings about your sort of like ask for that. And like, there's going to be feelings of like, you know, pressure and rejection and stuff. And there's like all those games I feel like are always going to be in there. I mean, I I feel like I've been in the experience where I tried to like talk to somebody early on in a potential relationship about like, 
you know, what's our capacity or what's this going to be like? And like, what kind of arrangement are you looking for? And in some ways, maybe that's also kind of like a rookie mistake that I've had with people who are, especially people who are like really new to the idea of non-monogamy. And they were like, just tell me how this works. What's the schedule or whatever. And I'm just like, I don't even know if I like you or want to spend time with you (laughs) yet. Like not sure what the schedule is, but like you can't figure that stuff out, you know, until you have some, uh, you know, some emotional experience together as well. Although I think in your case, you're talking about like a, a relationship that had been going on for six or eight months or something like that. So it re- was really like, it made sense f- to be trying to settle those things. Right. And that, that didn't necessarily mean an escalator, an emotional escalator yeah. to me. It was more just a, like, my kids are going back to school. My life feels kind of unmanageable, you know, being back at the drawing board every single time that we're talking about seeing each other is starting to feel frustrating and like maybe we don't have like the time and space in our lives for each other. And if that's the case, like let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I just kept, it kept being recast as like, I don't feel like you care about me enough. And I was like, that's Mm -hmm. not what I'm feeling, but I don't know what else to say. So this is my gripe that you can edit out later. (laughs) Oh no, I will not be a little indulgent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I think that, Having a shared understanding of that, I mean, the container or just like how often are we seeing each other or spending, you know, certain types of time together. It's like I can totally imagine a happy, great relationship where you only see each other once every six months. Right. But you both have agreed that like this is what our relationship looks like. This is what it means, you know. And this is, I think, to get us back to the point of like, what are the lessons learned? What does sustainable non-monogamy look like and feel like? does have like a much more regulated, like making choices and communicating, not just like throwing yourself in to a big like sea of feelings and considering, you know, seeing what happens. There is like a lot more kind of, it's like more mature basically. Yeah. So, and so I want to, I want to jump off of that a little bit. You're laying out like a, a version of sort of like sustainable, mature, Non-monogamy 2.0 <laughs> that is, don't shake your head at me like that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I shake my head? Um, you just looked at me so disgusted when I said non-monogamy 2.0. Um, it was a dumb thing to say, I admit. Uh, that is more um, like, kind of like structured and communicated. And I totally agree that that's one way that it could look, but I don't think it's necessarily the only way that it could look because this is making me think about, I think I have some relationships with people that are, um, still have some of the like sort of like what feels like sort of those those dynamics are not necessarily settled and there are still some of the like games, but they're not very attached relationships and that's kind of what's fun about it. Oh, and like I don't really hmm. it's not, I'm not gonna say I don't care, but like my feelings aren't really big. And maybe there's not even like a ton like there in terms of like my like, authentic connection with the person in terms of like our interests and stuff like that. But it's kind of like fun to have the back and forth around like, you know, our interest in each other. Hmm. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I that's so. not something that I get like activated around um, or like have big hard feelings about, like I probably would have like in the beginning or I would with, you know, a more ongoing attached relationship. 
I'm just kind of like, oh, like, this is funny that, you know, and kind of like exciting and interesting to have like that kind of dynamic. So maybe that's like another way that you can have a sort of like more regulated relationship to non-monogamy. Does that make sense? I think so. That the actual like push pull chasing, do they like me? Do I like them? Kind of dynamic is part of the fun. But if both people are opting in to that being what's fun about it, yeah, that it's also a container that feels sustainable, yeah, and not super disruptive. Exactly. Hmm. Let's take a break, and when we come back, let's talk about like are non-monogamous relationships like actually sustainable? Do people like do this for a long time? Mm. Um, I did some research. I have some answers. Oh, good. Finally, some questions with answers. (laughs) That's refreshing. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back. So before the break, I said uh, that I had done some research and had statistics on how long people stayed non-monogamous. Um, you said you had answers. I said I had answers. I actually lied about that. There wasn't really any uh, studies about this. Um, and I actually found that uh, this is kind of like one of those things that's sort of ungoogleable. Like I tried to Google huh. my Google search. I did a bunch of different ones, but like how long do people stay monogamous, right? And it's or non-monogamous? Not, or non-monogamous, sorry. Um, and it's not Googleable because everybody just wants to know, like, how long do non-monogamous relationships last? Because mm. it's all just people trying to validate or invalidate non-monogamy, right? Oh, that's so interesting. So everybody's just like, this motherfucker wants to be non-monogamous, like... Uh, how do I prove that it won't work? I'm coming back in the Tinder chat. <laughs> yeah. These stats about exactly. how non-monogamous relationships are doomed. Yeah, and it's totally like actually was kind of activating for me to read like the results. Like it's just like seven signs a monogamous relationship isn't for you and non-monogamy will not save your marriage and uh, is non-monogamy a secret to a happier life? And uh Let's see. Um, 13 things I wish I'd learned before choosing non-monogamy and five things people get wrong about non-monogamy. It's just like a lot of like, yes, no, is non-monogamy good or bad? Is it, you know, it's either the self or all of your problems or, you know, a complete dead end that is total bullshit and will never work. I like how you were activated by the Google responses because Google is emotionally activated by them. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> the internet is emotionally activated yes. by this question. Yeah, people. Yeah, people. people. So anyway, there's not really a lot of data on like, just like people who endeavor into non-monogamy, how long do they usually like continue to like for the rest of their lifetime? Or, you know, are people decide that they're non monog want to be non-monogamous or identify as poly or non-monogamous when they're, you know, teenagers and continue to be so for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. or in their, you know, early, late 30s, early 40s like us. And, you know, they continue to be so or only for a year or whatever. There's not really data that I can find. but um, And there's so many interesting demographics to parse there because it does feel like people who are solo poly who enter into non-monogamy or who only ever dated non-monogamously, you know, what 
what happens for those folks? What is the longevity and sustainability as compared to people who were monogamous for a long time right. and then open up in some way? And it's then really I guess interesting. There are probably people who are, and I definitely know and have dated people who are like not necessarily professed to be like, I'm non-monogamous or I'm solo poly, but people who have just been dating kind of like a lot of people uh, for a long time. Right. Um, I did find one person on, or like one thread on the non-monogamy Reddit where this person is like, you know, I've been organizing big poly meetups for nearly a decade and I've met close to 10,000 poly people in that time. Um, and in my experience, they say a huge percentage of people slide toward monogamy as they get older. I'd say 90% of the people I knew who were staunchly non-monogamy or poly in their 20s and 30s are now monogamous in their 40s and 50s. I've watched tons of my friends slowly shift that way. Um, so people get burnt out from constant breakups, heartaches. Tons are only non-monogamous due to their failing relationships. Tons are using non-monogamy as a crutch due to trauma, unresolved mental health issues. Huh. Um, hearts and minds can wildly shift when kids come into the picture, etc. Some people have a ton of complicated reasons that brought them down this path. I had thousand percent believe ten thousand percent. Oh wow, That's that does sound scientific. <laughs> Some of these people are and will always be non-monogamous, but from what I've seen over many many years, it's a small percentage of the already small non-monogamous community. So uh, this this is from user Reddit user fuck life hard, um, <laughs> which is the the fucking best username ever. I actually you trust, know what? trust this person's take a lot more. Now. I was going to say their credibility just actually yeah. raised for me. <laughs> They're right about one thing. They might yeah. be right about other things, too. I think too. they're right about many things, depending on whether you read it as fuck life hard or fuck life is hard. Mm. All, all true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, or or fuck, fuck life, life hard. Fuck yeah. life hard. <laughs> <laughs> they're all so good. It's all good. Yeah. <gasps> um, anyway, so there's that, uh, which is, you know, maybe kind of... Uh, skeptical, cynical take from a person who themselves, I think, are are like, I'm hardcore non-monogamous for life or whatever that they're like, but they're like a lot of other people. I think one of the things I'm noticing here, which was, which is a theme when we're talking about sustainable non-monogamy over a long time, mm -hmm. for example, is about life phase and stage. I mean, that's all over fuck life hard's response here <laughs> because they're talking about being in your 20s and 30s versus being in your 40s and 50s they're talking about you know when kids come into the picture if they're going to they're talking about like all of these things that mean that your life changes and so the way you're going to relate to dating sexuality and relationships change too mm -hmm. and i think the nuance that i'm often missing when we try and explore this though is of course those things will be changing how do you continue to cultivate like a sustainable non-monogamy through them or like how do you uh -huh. let the non-monogamy you practice also change yeah instead of it being like a non-monogamy looks this way your life changes and it can no longer accommodate that or you have experiences that are distressing or disruptive and so you stop the behavior instead of modifying it i think that's what i'm kind of talking about here is i'm like yeah of course it's not going to look the same in your 20s and 30s as it does in your 40s and 50s or your 50s and 60s. Of course, it's not going to look the same if you have kids. Of course, it, like, but that doesn't mean that you won't or can't still practice it in some way. Yeah, I think there's two pieces that I want to try to, like, 
maybe kind of discuss them in turn. Like the one is, um, oh shit, can I remember both of them now? Brain. It doesn't work <laughs> very well. Uh, the one is like the question of like, sort of like fatigue. Like it takes a lot of energy and like, can you like keep up that energy through a lot of different like experiences? Especially and, once the new relationship energy is worn off. Right, like, exactly. I had a lot of that energy even though I was 40 and had two small kids because the novelty of all of these new experiences kind of kept the energy for it high and the enthusiasm high and the amount of time I wanted to spend exploring it high. And then the other is the initial reason to go down the road or to like kind of depart from the what is I mean we have to admit what is the sort of norm of monogamy like is that a sound reason Um, or was that like a a reason that was sort of like going going to, by its very nature, be temporary. Does that make sense? Maybe. Tell me a little bit more of what you mean. I feel like this might segue us into me kind of reflecting on some of the couples I work with. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, so yeah. What are some of the like reasons that people get into non-monogamy that might not be, you know, might not be sustainable or might not be things that they. Uh, that might be related to the this particular relationship that they're in at that moment, like that they want to not be in that relationship anymore, right? They're in a marriage they don't want to be in anymore, and so the easier step than dissolving that marriage abruptly is like, let's try opening our marriage. I would say that is the one reason that I would offer that makes non-monogamy challenging to work with between people. Like, if you don't want to be in the relationship that you're initially in and you're opening up as an expression of not wanting to be in that relationship, you may or may not continue to be non-monogamous, but non-monogamy will hasten the end of that first relationship in my observation. Right. Uh, I think every other reason I have encountered why people enter into non-monogamy, whether it's um, common ones are wanting to express queerness, um, Mm -hmm. wanting to uh, explore, have sexual and romantic experiences that they missed out on when they were younger Mm -hmm. because of religious upbringing, because they married young for whatever reason. Um, Other common ones are changes in life. So it might be because people have kids, actually. That's one of the reasons why I kind of raised my eyebrow at that description of kids equaling closing down. Mm -hmm. I have just as often seen kids equal opening up Mm -hmm. because people go through a big life change their relationship between each other changes. Um, their kind of ability to experience sex, romance, adult fun yep. maybe becomes limited, and this is an avenue for exploring it. I've also seen couples where the opposite, kids may be leaving the home. Mm-hmm. And so for 15 to 18 years, people's relationship have been like really centered around raising these kids. Now the kids leave, and they're sort of like, huh, we have all this space and time and energy now. What did we maybe miss out on or were we not able to do for those 15 years that we could do now? And non-monogamy presents itself as an option. Um, I think all of the, and I see people at every older phase of life too, you know? So I definitely see lots of people who have kids in their forties. Increasingly, I'm seeing more people in their fifties in that more kind of like empty nester period who are interested Um, and I think all of those can be really great 
for mm-hmm. the initial relationship, depending on how you kind of navigate and find your way through it. But I will tell you that if you are doing it because you don't want to be married to that person anymore, you don't want to right. be in a relationship with that initial person anymore, not only is non-monogamy going to hasten the end, but it's going to make it very unpleasant. I think there's also one that is uh, that I've run into people um, in this having this experience a lot that people who are getting out of long-term monogamous relationships and want to basically get back out there, but definitely don't want to get back out there under the pretense of monogamy. Mm. Like they're like, I'm getting divorced or I just got divorced or I just got separated. And the last thing I want to do is get into another monogamous relationship. Um, But I do want to date people and have fun and stuff. I've always wondered about this specification, what the difference is between people who are dating casually and will state that they're not looking for serious relationships or relationships Mm. that are like trying to go somewhere. Just like, you know, people on the apps who are like, I just want to have fun and meet people versus people who declare themselves as polyamorous or solo Mm. poly. Yeah. Someone else could probably speak to that more uh, thoughtfully than I could. Yeah. I mean, it's probably just a thing of being like feeling more secure and, you know, having had that experience of having a long-term marriage that ended, you know, uh, and just being like, that's not for me. Right. Mm. That's like, it's a perfectly reasonable to like take an affirming stance. Like, well, I think it's the difference between it's not for me right now or it's not for me ever. Right. And a lot of people don't don't know. know. Yeah. You don't know in the moment. Yeah. Um, Just as a thought experiment, what are, if those are some of the reasons that people like try non monogamy (laughs) or try poly. And I guess there's another one that is just like often stated that's just like more of the identity one that like, I'm just a polyamorous person and I don't. You know, it doesn't work for me to date one person, and I've always kind of been that way, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe more in the poly realm and less in the non-monogamy realm, but obviously they're overlapping. But um, with that said, like, what are the reasons for monogamy that people would state if you asked them? Hmm. Oh, I think overwhelmingly it's security and stability. Right. I think for... A lot of folks, the prospect of doing dating is not worth any of the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the specter of jealousy or insecurity that may come from a partner dating doesn't feel worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people, there's a fair number of people out there who would say, and again, that's why the Reddit uh, user, it was interesting for them to reference trauma. Right. Like, for some people, they're using non-monogamy as a way to work through trauma. I would say for plenty of people, trauma means that monogamy is a better choice, too. Right. You know, it, it really just depends on kind of, like, who you are and where you yeah. need security and where you need um, more opportunities to explore. Um, I guess I would be curious to hear mm-hmm. Jessica reflect on this as the resident monogamist. <laughs> right. <laughs> Resident monogamous. <laughs> Defend yourself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good question. I was like, when you asked Sarah that question, I was like leaning forward. I was like, hmm, what is she going to say? <laughs> um, <laughs> because in some ways, I, I mean, I don't think that we are like, I think, you know, monogamy is definitely a script that we're 
handed, Mm -hmm. right? So we're not ever really encouraged to interrogate it at all, right? So, but it is definitely, there's a way that it's the path of least resistance, right? Mm -hmm. You just do it because that's what people do and Mm -hmm. what's done and, you know, what our parents did or pretended to do Mm -hmm. for generations before us. Um, But... But absolutely, you know, security, comfort, stability, like um, feeling like being, you know, being the most important person in someone else's life and feeling chosen, feeling chosen. Yeah. And I think like Mm -hmm. that is something that people can be kind of um, disparaging about in non-monogamy. Like I just, you know, Mm. you need to feel chosen or there's this like competitive element to, you know, being chosen. And I'm like. The desire to feel chosen is completely relatable, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely understandable, totally. uh, and something that it can feel good to have expressed through monogamy. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And right. I think that can connect to trauma and not. I certainly do know that hmm, I do see a lot of clients for whom their trauma is related to abandonment early in childhood, mm. whether mm-hmm. that's emotional or physical mm-hmm. in some way. And so that desire to feel chosen and safely chosen mm-hmm. and not constantly like vigilant against the possibility that they might be abandoned. Mm-hmm. Monogamy is a good, right. a good option for them. And they engage with it knowing that about themselves. And then for some of us who also might fit that psychological profile, mm. hi, uh, Non-monogamy feels like a good fit because it's a way to kind of work through that particular need and not feel as beholden to it or Mm -hmm. to examine it or to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a tool in in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Also, you just have more time for other stuff. Can can we just say that (laughs) about monogamy? Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God. Dating, whether you're doing it for monogamous, like ultimately to find a monogamous relationship or you're doing it non-monogamously, takes up a lot of time and yeah. bandwidth. Like right. that is one of the big questions I have about sustainability of non-monogamy in my own life is like, mm. I'm a parent, a therapist, a writer, a podcaster. Like I'm in community with a ton of people. I like going to like the movies. I like going on trips. I want to exercise <laughs> more and <laughs> having like this whole sector of my life that requires like actual, like hours attention yeah. and attention and often, you know, again, to to sprinkle in a little bit of bitterness over a recent breakup. <laughs> and then you put in like a bunch of that time and you put in a bunch of that energy. And then eight months later, you're like, all right, that didn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's making me think about people's more sort of like poly relationship orientation too, where they're like kind of trying to get to a destination with multiple people. Perhaps mm. and perhaps mm. like in those kinds of relationships, it's more uh, you know there is less kind of front end effort dating stuff going on and more like life together that maybe is I don't know if it's like more efficient, but it's you know there, there's so more relationships that you have to attend to, but they probably look more like those community relationships that you were referencing, right? right? Um, and it's people that you. Or in chosen family in with. In chosen family with, who yeah. maybe you also like have. Right, I also have a chosen family. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny, I thought I was, the, the trap I was laying with the like, what are the reasons for monogamy was kind of like, you know, that we never, like you were saying, Jessica, we never really have to justify it. But also like, 
that most people would probably, I was assuming you would say like love mm. is the reason. Like if you asked most people, like, why are you monogamous? Like if they're in a relationship, they would be like, because I love this person so much that oh. I only want to be with them. Um, and you guys kind of went right to the, the deeper, probably more sort of like psychological or social reasons. But like, I feel like most people would just be like, cause mm. Steve's great date night with this sweetie. You know, <laughs> Steve. Let, let the record reflect that. I do love Curtis very much, <laughs> but I don't. Yeah, it wasn't an attack. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's real bad. That like, was that wasn't the trap. Like, <laughs> I didn't go to. Let, no, but I, but it's like it's a great point. And that's not it's totally not my expression of love. My expression of love like I and we've talked about this on the podcast a little bit. Like I do feel like while well, I am monogamous in my romantic relationship. I have so many relationships in my life and just like asking any one of those people to be my everything of any kind is like not an expression of love. It's, I don't know what it's an expression of, but Mm -hmm. it's too much. Right. And that kind of pressure (laughs) feels like it for some people, I think who maybe feel naturally non-monogamous and I would put myself in that category. And I know that on this podcast, I'm often the like, more reluctant non-monogamous, non-monogamous, but I am very non-monogamous in the Mm -hmm. sense that what I want out of relationships and especially intimate relationships becomes less secure feeling and less safe the more unrealistic pressure is Mm. put on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mm -hmm. for me, love feels safer, more accessible, the more we can kind of like spread some of that pressure mm-hmm. around. Mm, Honestly, totally. I don't know how else yeah. to put it. Like, yeah. I just feel safer knowing that it's not all of my intimacy, all of my love, all of the sex that I'm going to have is going to be concentrated into one person. And so if shit is going sideways with that person or they're going through a hard time or things aren't working out, my whole fucking life is over. Right. That does not, that kind of pressure doesn't feel like love to me, it feels just like really scary and overwhelming. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to, before you said that, I was going to say that there was like, we were setting up like a little bit of a binary between like, um, non monogamy being kind of like more sort of like exploratory, and monogamy being more kind of like uh, stable and that maybe there's like a different, you know, going back to the like narrative of fuck life hard um, <laughs> that there being kind of like uh, if you took away all of the kind of like, this is for me, this is not for me, all of the kind of like cultural stuff, you know, some people have, some people are stuck in what society told them to do. And some people are free, all of that bullshit. If everybody was just free, they would probably go through different phases of being more monogamous sometimes and being more non-monogamous other times. And, uh, it would just be based on kind of like where they were at. And maybe it is a hard thing to sustain being, you know, kind of actively non-monogamous in a, in a really sort of like exploratory experiential way for long periods of time. And sometimes you kind of need a break, but, or you're just making other choices. Like, right. You know, I, a couple of things come to mind. One is you and I were reflecting on a walk recently. We're like, gosh, it feels like we haven't really been, 
doing that much dating and like things have felt a little sleepy. And then we actually like looked over our calendars and we're like, oh no, we have actually been doing a fair amount of stuff. It just doesn't feel the same way as it used to. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't. Like it's not as hectic. It's not as hectic. It's a little more normal for us to be doing that. And so we don't kind of like notice it as much. Mm-hmm. And I think like for me personally, the dating I'm doing is like, hmm, just a little more predictable because I have now dated a lot of people and gone on a lot of dates and I kind of have a sense of, Mm -hmm. you know, the range of experiences out there. Uh, And so the way I'm engaging with it feels different. Um, So I guess I wanted to offer that up too, that the amount of activity isn't the only way that you might define new relationship energy wearing off. It may also just be that the way that activity feels changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I also think you can make choices like, you know, I had a very, I'm kind of going through a really specific choice about my creative life. And I'm Mm. like, I don't think I can do the podcast, have my practice, have the kids at the ages that they're at and date and be working on a book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just can't. So Mm -hmm. there's like, I can't do it at the same speeds in all of those departments. So I have to like put my hands on the dials and be like, where, what gets turned up and what gets turned down. And it might be that dating gets turned down a little bit in the interest of writing, getting turned up, but that's not because I'm not non-monogamous. Right. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just because your, your practice. Like, yeah. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Are you making fun of me? No, no, I'm not. I'm making fun of myself. We keep talking about like the practice of non-monogamy and then it's making me think about like a yoga practice. Mm. And then that sounds like, it's like an apt way to describe it, but it's also the stupidest fucking so thing that so I possibly think of. So, um, I always just say engage because yeah. I'm trying to avoid practice. Also yeah. because... Well, in your business is a practice. Is also right. also. Yeah. And with the rise of the term praxis... Praxis. Which mm, I still don't yeah. really understand what the difference between practice and praxis is, but now I just feel kind of like insecure about both words. I think we're kind of at the nexus of a praxis. Oh, a boy. Praxis. <laughs> but the real foci of this conversation that I wanted to bring us back to was... Um, no, uh... <laughs> there better be two of them. Yeah. Oh, more. shit. Um, yes, there are. Okay, good. No, there's only one. Shit. But, um... W- <laughs> So if we're bringing it back to kind of like where we're at, um, I think we're kind of talking about how like we have clearly like moved a little bit out of this like initial new relationship energy, initial enthusiasm, um, kind of chaotic period of, you know, being of our practice of non-monogamy. Of just getting out there and making as many mistakes as we possibly could. Do you have uh, a favorite mistake from that time? That you would like to share? Yes. So I've been thinking about this. Um, and the, actually, my answer to this really got me, th- got me thinking about how grateful I am for the chaotic period. Uh, I think it was the first time that I really like, fell in love with, in this case, it was another man outside of our marriage. It was really early on. Um, and... I had this moment. It it was so unsustainable for so many reasons. Um, You know, like, this was a single person, no kids, like, living in a home with lots of creative types. He himself was, too, like, 
big activist leaving town the whole nine, right? <laughs> um, really could not have been in a more different phase of life than I was if you tried. And uh, <laughs> I really wanted to keep up. I really wanted to have this relationship that I felt like I hadn't had at some period in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of escalating. It was like seeing each other every week. And then it was like weekly sleepovers and going on trips. And like there was meeting all of his friends and just like a lot of that stuff. And it was fucking exhausting. When I think back on that, I am just like, I lost like 15 pounds. <laughs> I was like so tired all the time. Um, I just was really, I was in grad school too. It was nuts. Um, and I remember when he told me that he had fallen in love with me and I had this like moment. It was like a moment of clarity where I was like. Wait, like where were you? We're set, on, the, set the scene. We're on a walk. <laughs> okay. Um, and. Boring. Yes. Yeah, Boring place to say you love. Somebody. Yeah. Just, just saying, not that I'm like jealous or have any feelings about this. We're at the top of the Space Needle. Oh, okay. yeah. I don't know. Um, <laughs> On the prow of a ship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sailing to America. I had this moment where I was like, are we going to do this? Like, are we just going to really do this thing? And I was like, ah, that's probably not a good idea, but fuck it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I love you too. And it was. You know, like I said, unsustainable, uh, took a lot out of me. Um, I think there were some very difficult lessons learned for me there. And I would not, I would not take it back because I also really did in that sort of chaotic period where I didn't know how to make like sustainable good choices. I got to have like some of that wish fulfillment of the relationship that I didn't have in, you know, my twenties and thirties when you and I were all three of us were being very serious international journalists and we were like not going to be derailed by romances with musician anarchists or whatever. Um, because we were like going to investigate the fucking war on terror or whatever the fuck I was doing when I was 29 years old or (laughs) 32 years old. Um, and it was so great that I got to know what that felt like. And I feel like I have this like much deeper frame of reference for, experiences that my clients have, like a cultural experience that feels really important. Um, You know, I like felt a lot of heartbreak when it ended. And I think like having that experience was like really deepening for me. I am super appreciative of that big mistake. Uh, I would not do it again. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would even be capable of doing it again. It's like the thing I could only do because I didn't really totally understand how dumb I was being. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so glad I did. I... I find myself like thinking about it in um, in reference to like my work all the time. Um, it's it's really like an important part of my experience now. So that's my answer. <laughs> what about you? Well, that was deep. <laughs> um, I know. Shout out to that guy who's probably not listening, but uh, <laughs> we uh, uh, went out to lunch a couple of months ago, and that thing that I just said is the thing I wish I had said to your face, but I didn't. So. There you go. <laughs> Did you actually say fuck it before you said I love you too? In my head, yeah. Okay, cool. I do remember that. I was just like, this seems like uh, a bad idea. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it. Fuck it. Um, yeah, favorite. I mean, this this is probably like a 
a specific thing that is sort of symbolic. Like the thing is not necessarily big, but um, related to what I was saying up top about like the gun date, like there was a time that I, there was like a couple different people that I was sort of like talking to and like interested in dating. And I only had like a little bit of time, like sometime during the a weekday, I hope nobody at my job listens to this because they're going to know how many <laughs> times I go on dates in the middle of the day on a Tuesday or whatever. Um, and they were like, both were like, oh, I'm available on, you know, Thursday afternoon or whatever. Or And one was like Thursday afternoon and the other, the other was Thursday evening. And I was like, mm, okay, I think, think I can pull that off. So I just was like supposed to go on a walk with one of them in the afternoon and then like go get dinner with the other one in the evening. And it was like both first dates. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I felt like kind of like, I was definitely embarrassed to tell you that, that I was doing that. Do you remember my response? No, I don't. I was like, remember I remember it so well. I was like, oh, wow, I love that for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, this is like a Seinfeld episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I was like, whatever comes out of this, it's going to be so good. Well, <laughs> what happened was, interestingly, uh, one of the people was like, so I went and met the first person and we were like, went for a walk. And then partway through that, I got a text from the other person being like, hey, I have a headache. They, they fucking canceled, right? Hmm. They're like, can't meet up. Uh, and then the first person, like I went for a walk and then they were just kind of like, hey, this was fun. Do you want to like come back to my house and I'll like make dinner? And I was like, whoa, uh, I did not expect that. Um, their house was in fucking Auburn too, so like far away, but I was like, okay, sure. Um, I have the time. This other person canceled. So I like <laughs> said yes. I went and like they made me a delicious dinner. It was then, like, salmon, if I remember it was correctly. Sam- <laughs> so it was like you were there. Uh, I remember that too, actually. And they were learning I never to- forget a salmon. <laughs> <laughs> they were learning how to tune a piano. They showed me their like piano tuning tools and like how to tune, tune a piano. And we like made out in their basement for a while. And it was like pretty fun. And then I left and I was like, oh, like, cool. I'm going to like have a new girlfriend or whatever. I was pretty into them. And the next day they texted me and they were like, I don't think I want to like do a thing with you. You know, I can't remember exactly what they said, but I was just like devastated, super bummed out because I thought it was a thing. I thought there was vibes. I was like, it's a bummer. They live in fucking Auburn, but it's going to be fine. I was so bummed out, like, we really didn't know how to figure out, like, what had happened or what had done wrong or whatever. And it was so sad. But the other person who canceled on me was the person who I've been dating for, like, two years. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, we went out again later and it was fine. Um, no, you went out again later with this person. It was better than fine. It was better than fine, but I'm just saying, like, the scheduling just part was fine. if this person is listening, <laughs> I was there, and I remember that his response was that it was better than and fine. And it was fine, and it's still fine. No. no. He was very excited. I wasn't, like, my disappointment was resolved, is what I meant. Thank yeah. you, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> We're anyway. stepping in it on this episode. <laughs> Point being, uh, that I think what I miss maybe a little bit is, like, or, like, what one of one of the things I appreciated about that time was that like just being kind of chaotic and just like saying yes to stuff. It's like, there's a lot of room for a lot of things to happen. That's right. And like, um, it's generative. It's, it's generative. Yeah. It's not like a thing you can, you can't really keep that up right. probably, but you do have, it's like, I had a lot of fun doing the first thing. The salmon was delicious. That lady was cool. And then I also like, you know, 
ended up having like a, a really like nice long-term relationship. Yeah. And it's all, as I was listening to you talk, I'm realizing that going through periods of more chaos where you're saying yes to more things, whether it's a gun date at Cal Anderson or a sexy <laughs> piano tuner in Auburn, uh, that it's a reminder that you can go through periods in life where you say yes to a lot of things and surprising things will happen. Right. Mm. That life is not predictable, that you can engage with it with a little more like freedom and open-mindedness and surprising good and surprising bad things will happen. And it's kind of just incredible to know that. Mm-hmm. It just like feels good to know that about life. Yeah. And like maybe that is also a attitude or an understanding or a knowledge that is in and of itself sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's not like knowing that you have the power to make your life interesting um, and enriching like that is, you know, is, is exciting. Yeah. And it was a good lesson at a good moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can't keep that up. And we all go through periods of like sort of chaotic change. And the point is not to sustain chaotic change for your entire life, but to take those periods and really turn them into something valuable and integrate them and make your life richer and yourself mm-hmm. kind of more fully realized on the other side. Mm-hmm. But now that we've learned this lesson, <laughs> it's time for us to close our marriage. And this will be the final episode of this podcast. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed season three. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Fooled you. Uh, like, Trick or treat. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but now that you guys have figured everything out, how are you going to, we got to come up with a mistake for every podcast episode. Oh my God. We'll keep doing those. those. Don't worry. So many. I mean, even just, I was thinking about in this last breakup, like I did all of the mature, regulated, communicative stuff that I've learned over the course of the past three years. Mm-hmm. And the thing is still stupid. Yeah. You know, it's just as stupid as fuck. Well, and also, <laughs> it all also happened over text, which, and it, if I remember correctly, was episode one mistakes were made. Don't break up with someone over text. Guess what? Oh, Three yeah. years later, still doing it, motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. And wasn't that like the first YouTube video uh-huh. ever about this? Yeah. It's a lesson we. So I know. think. I definitely think that there's always more material. And if you're like having multiple intimate relationships with people, there is going to be material to mine and there are going to be feelings. So I'm not worried about that. No, me either. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back in a couple of weeks with more mistakes for na- were made. What's it called again? Mistakes were made. Mistakes <laughs> mermaid. I think it's just called mistakes mermaid. <laughs> Oh, what was my snacks were made. <laughs> One of my goals for season three is that we always have snacks oh, whenever yeah. we're recording. Yeah. And then Alex and I have been making the joke about the snacks were made. The okay. snacks were made. Thank you for listening to Some Snacks Were Made. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends and subscribe. Like us on different platforms. Follow us on Instagram. Yeah, and I would say we'd love to hear from you about, like, your favorite mistakes from whatever. Maybe you're in your chaotic, messy period of learning about non-monogamy. Maybe it's behind you. But I'd love to hear what other people might come up with. So hit us up with those. See you next time. 
See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.